Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in the book of Luke. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will bring a Bible to you. We not only like to listen to God's Word, there's something really special about seeing it right before our eyes. Luke, we are in 17. Again, going through Luke. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the book of Luke. Verse 20. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would open up our eyes to these verses, Lord. We can look at them and scratch our heads, Father. What are they talking about? We thank you that your word says that by the Holy Spirit you can reveal what it is they're talking about to us. You will enlighten the eyes of our understanding. That's what your word says. I pray that you help me this morning, you help all of us see into what you're talking about, Lord, and we know that every bit of this Bible, every letter, 
every T that is crossed, every I that is dotted. It's here, Lord, for us, for the building up of us. That's what we need this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I begin, we do have another book club meeting coming up in a few weeks. And the book club this month, they meet here on Monday nights once a month, is reading the autobiography of George Mueller. Now, who's, who's heard of George Mueller? Hands, anyone? This guy is sort of, uh, you know, he, he's one of probably a dozen men and women Christians who have lived that it's sort of a, a standard biography that all of us need to, to read. It's, it's so encouraging. You know, the Bible talks about faith and Jesus, it says, was astonished when he saw the, the, uh, the, Roman, uh, the Roman general who or the Roman commander who had faith, and he said, I haven't seen such faith in Israel, and he marveled. Only time in the Bible he marveled. It's, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, sometimes we look at uh, faith and how it's described in the Bible, and, we, and we're like, is this real? Can anyone really do this? Well, this guy did. <laughs> this guy, George Mueller. And he had uh, some orphanages. I believe they were in Scotland, Scotland or England, and... He just completely did it all by faith. And he did it, his own testimony is he did it. He loved the kids, of course, but he felt like the Lord tell him, you need to go do something where you will prove to people that I am faithful. So there's all these stories about, you know, he, he and the orphans would sit down and start praying for their meal when there was no meal. And about the time they said amen, all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock on the door, and there was the meal. So that's what the book club is doing this month. It's in the bookstore, the autobiography of George Mueller. Okay, Luke chapter 17. We were reminded last week in chapter 17, verse 11, that at this point in the book of Luke, Jesus on his final journey to Jerusalem. Soon after he arrived there, he would be crucified. And as we said last week, he knew this. He knew he was going to be crucified. And we put this verse up on the board uh, last week, Luke 9. Do we have that? Luke 9, verse 22. It says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised to life. So that's right before he begins his journey to Jerusalem. That's what he says. He knows that soon he will be leaving. But also, at this point, he knows in light of his death, there are certain things he must tell the disciples before he leaves. He's got to get it out. And one of those is what? His return, his future return. So in the verse we just read, he talks about how he would die and be raised to life. But then he knows he's going to talk about his return. Now, I grew up in different churches. And my family was always in church on Sundays. Tragically, they were not churches 
which uh, really even believed in the Bible. They, they sort of taught human philosophies, this type of thing. I never once remember hearing my entire bringing up, my youth, the pastor saying or talking about that Jesus was going to come again. Not even once. Certainly it was nothing that was, was ever emphasized. Uh, it wasn't just not a respectable thing uh, to talk about. And those are the kind of churches that I grew up in. But think about it. How crazy is that? If Jesus is coming back, shouldn't the people who worship him and follow him, shouldn't his own children be told that? You know, we are actually called, we think ourselves as children of Father God, first person of the Trinity. We're also children of Jesus. In the book of, of, of Hebrews, it says that in chapter 2, Jesus says, here I am and the children God has given me. And, and, and so can you imagine a dad leaving his children to go on a one-year assignment with the army or somewhere in, in, in the Middle East? We've actually had a couple of our, few of our guys actually go over there for a long period of time. Can you imagine uh, one of the dads doing this and not telling the kids that dad is coming back? That is crazy. The Jesus we love, the Jesus we worship, the Jesus we gather every Sunday to, to talk about and study about he is coming back. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. Let's look at a few verses that make this so, so clear. It's not like this is hidden, by the way, in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus had ascended to heaven, everyone is, all the disciples were looking up at the clouds, and two angels appeared and said this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from, from you into heaven will so come in like manner. In other words, he's going to come in the, in the same way. He will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Next verse. Luke chapter 21, verse 27. This is talking um, in, in just a few chapters, actually, from now. He's talking to his own disciples about his return and what's going to happen when he returns. It says, they, the people of earth, will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Another verse in Matthew 26, 64. Here he's being grilled by the chief priests and the scribes. He's before the Sanhedrin. They're bringing false witnesses before him. And they say, enough of everything. Let's just get down to the point. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? To that, Jesus answered this. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow, that was my favorite, uh, that was my favorite scene in, in the movie, The Passion of Jesus Christ. It was just so powerful when he says that to, to these people who were grilling him. It is as you've said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I think we have one more verse, do we? John chapter 14, verse 3. You've all heard of this. He tells the disciples that 
he's going to die and he's going to go. And they're, they're all bummed out about it. <laughs> and, and he tells them, look, it's, you don't, don't feel bad. It is good that I go. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So it's not hidden. It's not hidden. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus is coming back. Think about that. Just think about it. Jesus is returning to the earth in physical form. Not just like a spirit or a ghost or things like that. No, in physical form with the scar marks still on his hands and his feet and his side. So on his final journey to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him when he gets there, you better believe that he's going to be talking about this. And that's what he does in this chapter. So let's go to where we began today, verse 20 of chapter 17. And let's work through these verses. These are not easy verses. Verses 20 and 21 in particular are, are not particularly easy. So he's first, he, he's asked by the Pharisees, verse 20 says, when the kingdom of God would come, which is the equivalent of asking him, when is the Messiah going to come? Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will, it, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now the Pharisees, a very powerful religious group, long on the law, short on love. At the time, there was great anticipation in Israel that God would send a savior, a Messiah, to rescue Israel from the Roman emperor who ruled Israel with an iron fist. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets had prophesied about this coming Savior. One of those prophets, Daniel, had prophesied the time he would come, and it was right about now, Luke 17. To me, it's the most astonishing, uh, the the most mind-boggling prophecy in the whole Bible, in the book of Daniel, where he, he prophesies the prophesies the time that Jesus would come. And so uh, there's great anticipation at this time of the Messiah coming. And in fact, we're told by uh, historians that lived at that time that there were many false messiahs at this time. Of course, so we know that he did arrive on the scene at that time. We know that. But here's the deal. Jesus was not their idea of who the Messiah would be. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke, really, of a suffering Savior and a conquering Savior. The suffering Savior would die for the sins of his people, and he would establish a spiritual kingdom by giving the Holy Spirit to those who embraced the suffering Savior. Right out of the Old Testament, clear as day. It's the truth. In fact, we're in those verses uh, in Ezekiel uh, here recently on Sunday nights. 
However, the conquering Savior would bring judgment on the world and establish his kingdom on the earth. Now, not even the prophets themselves understood fully that the suffering Savior and the conquering Savior were one and the same, and that the Savior would have to come first to suffer, die, and raise from the dead, and then at a later time uh, come and return for judgment. Is everybody with me? Sort of, kind of? So now listen, in verse 20, these Pharisees, now remember, these are not friends of Jesus. When they, uh, the Pharisees ask when the kingdom of God is coming, what they're asking is, is when is the, when is the Messiah coming to establish his uh, kingdom? And now again, the problem was no one in Israel at the time was interested in a suffering savior. They were being crushed by the enemy Rome. They were not interested in anything but someone who was going to conquer the Romans and rescue them. Even John the Baptist thought that Jesus was going to be a conquering Savior. In fact, you may remember in Matthew chapter 11 where John the Baptist came. uh, Rather, he was in prison. He had been in prison. He sent his disciples to Jesus, and they said, asked Jesus, here, we're coming from John, and he asked this question, are you really the one? Because you don't look like the one. You're teaching stuff like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That does not sound like a conquering Messiah. And what did John, what did Jesus say in response to him? He said, you go tell John this, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them, which was in the Old Testament an indisputable sign that the Messiah has come when you start seeing these things break out. Of course, they did in Jesus' life. So John understood that. John would have understood that. So again, back in verse 20, uh, they're asking him, so anyway, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming anyway? Now, his response is a little difficult to understand. He says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, Unfortunately, some things are lost a little in the translation sometimes. The original Greek word for the word observation here, the root word rather, is the word padatero. It means, it means, get ready for this, to watch insidiously. Oh, I like that word, insidiously. I do have to look it up, you know, in the dictionary when I read it, but, but it, it means to just Watch with, with an evil eye, with an accusing eye, with a, a cynical eye. Every time it's used in the New Testament, this word, this root word that you see here, right in this verse, it's used in a, in a bad way. Let me get, just give you one example, or, or a couple of examples. Mark chapter 3, verse 2 uses the same root word. So they watch, same word, him closely so that they might accuse him. Book of Acts. Another example, and they watched, same word, the gates day and night to kill him. Speaking of when they were trying to kill Paul, the apostle Paul. It was all, it's always used in this way, in a bad way. We do not have an equivalent word in the English language for it. So when Jesus responds to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. What he is saying to them is, 
You're never going to see the kingdom of God through the eyes that you're trying to see it. You're not going to see it. Everything Jesus did, they were watching with an eye towards accusing him, with an eye towards destroying him. You're never going to see the kingdom of God uh, that way, he's saying. And then he goes on in verse uh, 21, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, for, then he says, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. What he's saying in verse 21, is, it's not like a guessing game. Oh, it's, is it here? See there? Or is it there? Or no. no, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. A better translation is, among you, or better translation is, is in your face right now. <laughs> Jesus is within the kingdom of Israel right now. He, he's in the kingdom. He, he, the kingdom is, it is with you. He's with you. He's joined you, and you can't see it. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. But you are so self-centered, so egocentric, so much about what you want, what you desire, what you hope for, you can't even see it because you're clinging to all those things. You're clinging to your ideas of what God wants to do. Now, I just want to pause and step back. Pause, step back. Because listen, there is a very there's such an important message here for you and me. You know, too, too often I speak with a Christian and, and, and look, odds are you're here this morning <laughs> and you're so totally convinced exactly how God is going to operate in your life you have him mapped down. You have a five-year, 10-year, and a 20-year plan. And, 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 and you're like, in, but you call it God's plan. You know exactly who you're going to be with, what the time is, what career, what man, what woman, whatever. What relationship. You have it all mapped out. And when, you know, in counseling and things, and believe me, I speak to my own heart too. I, I, I'm not pointing any fingers, but I, I counsel some of you. And, and man, when I try to suggest that maybe, just maybe, God may be doing something a little bit differently or a whole lot differently, it's like, oh, no way, man, no way, man. All of a sudden, the, li the lights turn off. You know, that's a scary place to be. You know Why? Because just like these Pharisees, you may have God working right in your midst, right in your face like these Pharisees, and you can't see it because you decided that your idea of God's will is the only idea. Listen, brother, sister, regardless of what you are convinced the Lord may be doing in your life, please, I, I plead with you. Every morning, every single morning, cry out this prayer. Let this prayer be the cry of your heart. Lord, I believe, you know, I believe, I, I think I know where you want me to go, but, but listen, if it's not right, Lord, take me anywhere you want to go. Do anything with me that you want to do with whoever you want me to be with, Lord, and, and, and wherever it is, Lord, just, just you do it. It's called an abandonment, an absolute surrender to God, and that's not done once at the time of salvation. That's every day, brothers and sisters. 
It's every day. And, and why is this an important subject? Because look at this. These people had Jesus talking in their face and they had no idea. It wasn't even a guessing game. There's t- the wonderful thing about being a Christian, that those times in our life, it's no longer even a guessing game. It's so clear what the Lord's doing. But that only happens to a man or woman who is completely open with every day to whatever the Lord wants to do with them. Are you with me, Sil? Okay, so he, he says this to the Pharisees. He says, look, it's not a guessing game, verse 21. See here or there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you or among you. Now, in verse 22, there's a, a major shift here. He goes from speaking to the Pharisees to speaking to his own disciples. And at the same time, he is going to shift from talking about the suffering Messiah who is right now in their midst, who's establishing that spiritual kingdom. He's going to change from speaking about that to speaking about the Messiah who would come in judgment to establish his kingdom. A kingdom that we've been reading on Sunday nights, it's going to be a kingdom of peace, of unity, where we're no longer going to have any questions about God's will or, or, or our life or, or why things happening because it's, it's, he, Jesus is going, to, is going to establish a kingdom free of all that. And so he shifts from the present to the future. We know it's the, the, it's, it's the fairly distant future. In a sense, he's going from baby food to solid food. You know, Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of the Hebrews says, by now you should be on solid food. Instead, I'm still feeding you baby food. Well, the Pharisees were still choking on baby food. And that's not where you want to be, choking on baby food. You want to be on solid food. And, and that's where he goes uh, right here. In verse 22, he says, Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So he's told them that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and killed. But then he would rise from the dead. But what he is saying here is that after he rises from the dead, the disciples are going to long for the time when they were with him, and they're going to long for the time of his return. It says something actually about the timing of his return here that it's not going to be in their lifetime. Verse 23. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. And what he's saying is this, after I leave, there's going to be a lot of false predictions and false messiahs. Actually, you can go right into the internet and do your own research. Lots of false messiahs that came even in that period. Of course, we know, we see that to this day. You know, that kook, Harold Camping, May 21, 2011, we was predicting Jesus' return, you know, and it wasn't just then. When I began walking with the Lord in January of 1988, that same year, there was a crazy historia that Jesus was going to come back on September 8th, 
1988. There was a real popular book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ is Coming Back in 1988. That's what it meant me when I came out of the, you know, when I said womb or whatever, with the spiritually, and, and I started walking with God. And I thank God for my pastor at the time. He's a man of God, Gary Crawford. He would point to the Bible among other verses, verse 23 of um, uh, of, of Luke and say, no, 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 you, you, you cannot know that. So let's go on to verse 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Meaning Jesus' return will come suddenly when no one expects it expects it. Actually, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus specifically tells the disciples that no one knows not only the time, but the season of a specific year of his return. And, and, and so uh, clear in the word of God that, that a specific time or even a season of a year is not even given. Verse 25. But first, he, the Savior, Remember, he's both the suffering Savior and he's the conquering Savior. It says, but first, before he returns, before I return in the future, he says, but first he, he could just as well say I, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's referring to the cross. He's referring to just a few months from this time, he would die on the cross. So he's saying, before the conquering Messiah comes to establish his kingdom on earth, the, 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 the conquering Messiah must first come and he must suffer and he must die because there's a much bigger problem than all the chaos all around the world that you see. It's your problem in your heart. It's a sin problem right now. You're separated from God and the penalty of your sin is death and, and the suffering Messiah must die for your sin lest you pay the judgment for it. Verse 25, rather verse 26. He says, and he, now in these verses, what he is going to address in these verses is what the conditions will be like in the earth at the time of his future return. So Jesus is coming back. What's the world going to be like when he comes back? Well, that's what um, it addresses here in verse 26 and, uh, through 30. It says, and it was as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, so what Jesus is saying in these verses is that when he returns, or when he's first revealed, 
in the future, after his death, when he returns, just like he promised he would, in many ways life will be normal. That's what he's saying here. People will be eating and drinking, giving their sons and daughters in marriage, buying and selling, farming, building. In many respects, there will not be anything radically unusual just before Jesus is first revealed. Now remember, the reason that people were mocking Noah, and by the way, please note, Jesus believed in Noah and the flood. The reason people were mocking Noah was because Noah was telling them that God's judgment was coming and the earth would be destroyed. Meanwhile, their lives were normal. Not only were their lives, uh, but but the the attitude was, was, why should I pay attention to God? I'm eating and drinking and buying and selling and enjoying my life without him. Why should I start listening to him now? Same thing in Genesis chapter 19 with Lot. At the time Sodom was destroyed, people were caring about just normal life. But then judgment came upon them. So now, uh, because here in, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says that when he returns, and it, it'll look kind of normal. Most or many think this is a reference to the rapture of the church out of the world before the judgment comes. Now, if you're not familiar with what the rapture of the church is, let me give you a very brief lesson. The Bible teaches that seven years prior to the conquering king actually physically coming down to the earth and establishing his kingdom, that Jesus will come for his church, for his children, not for a building, for people throughout the world who believe in him. I'm going to put up a chart right now. Do we have that that chart ready? Maybe, kind of. It'll get up eventually. Derek's going, one one minute, one minute. (laughs) Is it up? Maybe, yes, no? Okay, all right, here it is. Not sure everyone in the back can see this, but this is a timeline of Jesus' return where it says right here, present church age, that's where we are now. Jesus, the, the, the Bible teaches that right down there at the bottom there, it says Jesus returns for his church. It says when the fulfillment of the Gentiles, uh, of the time of the Gentiles is reached, Jesus is gonna return for his church. That means the last person a non-Jewish person who is saved. Israel was uniquely God's children up into the time of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And then, uh, then it, it expanded to every nation uh, under the earth. And that's where Jesus sent the people out. But at the, la- at the fulfillment of time, Jesus is going to return. At that time, there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. That's what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is about what happens immediately in the seven-year period, immediately before Jesus returns 
to establish his kingdom of our earth and, and, and sort of the final judgment. After that, the millennial reign of Christ, and Jesus establishes his kingdom. Then there's a final judgment and a new heavens and new earth. And I do, wanna, I do want to make sure and tell you that it's impossible to get all these things right. Even the prophets, the picture was very hazy for them in the Old Testament. But our understanding of a plain literal meaning of uh, interpretation of the Bible, this is generally what it appears to look like. Now, we're all going to get to heaven. We're going to find out there were individual details that are different. And anytime you meet someone who they're absolutely convinced that they've figured it out. When I was getting out of the car this morning, Stephanie says, so you figured it out? what these verses mean, and I, I wouldn't answer the question, because any, <laughs> anyone who has figured it out, just uh, politely excuse yourself and walk the other way. They're scary people, but, but, uh, or, or love them, somehow try to love them. But, but, uh, uh, but anyway, this is, this is generally how it looks. Now, at this time where it says the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation, there's, again, the book of Revelation uh, has a description of what's going on at that time right before Jesus returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. Can we put up the verse from Revelation? This is what it's like right before Jesus uh, returns, with the, when he finally returns. This is what it's like. This is just from Revelation chapter 6. It says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. In other words, with people with money, if you didn't have money, high education, low education, they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him, referring to Jesus, who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, oh my, that does not look like a, what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 17, where he says, the next time I'm showing up after I ascend into heaven, it's going to be like the days of Noah, where people are uh, marrying wives, they're eating, they're drinking, they're buying, they're selling. Obviously, that's, that's not a description. What we just read in Revelation of his final return, his return in judgment. It appears to be a, a description of the rapture. The Bible says that, that, that God did not appoint his children to wrath or to judgment. Or to, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, speaking of the time of tribulation that we just saw in Revelation, it specifically says that God did not appoint his children to that period. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. He'll save us out of it just as he did all his children, like Noah, like Lot. Let me just show a, a couple more verses here. These are about the rapture. The last verse I told you about was about the tribulation period. But prior to the tribulation period, the Bible says that Jesus is going to take his children out because the children of God have not appointed to wrath. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, speaking to Christians, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never turned to God, as it says, you better pay real close attention 
to everything we're talking about this morning. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, specifically referring to the tribulation period. Another verse there in 1 Thessalonians, this is a picture of when Jesus is first revealed to take his church out of the earth. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, meaning those who have died before us who are Christians, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then this, these wonderful verses here, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these Words that's referring to the rapture of the church. So if we could just get that chart up one more time. Can we get that chart up one more time? So it just, there, here it is all before you. Present church age where we are now. Jesus returns for his church, bottom left. Then there's a seven-year period of a, of, of a tribulation period. Then the conquering king returns to establish his kingdom. And so uh, this is what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 17. And then in verse 31, uh, he, now he's speaking about the tribulation period. It says, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. This is not going to be a place that is planet Earth that you want to be in during the seven-year tribulation period. The time for salvation to give your life to Jesus Christ is now. It's today. Verse 32 says, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. There's probably been 10,000 ser sermons given on this one verse alone. I'm not going to do that to you today. But oh, that we as a church would just pause and reflect on those three words. Remember Lot's wife. Who was Lot's wife? Well, Lot was taken out of Sodom just before fire came from heaven and destroyed that city. Lot brought with him his wife and his two daughters his two son-in-laws mocked him and stayed in Sodom, but his daughters came, so did his wife. His wife, while they were leaving, turned back. Some interpreter said she actually started walking back to Sodom, and she was destroyed. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Why did that happen? Why did she turn back? It says, remember Lot's wife because a piece of her heart was still firmly rooted in Sodom. There was a piece of her heart still rooted in the world. There was a fascination with the kingdom of the world. In Matthew chapter 4, it says the devil took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain. 
And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all these things I'll give you if you'll only fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you serve him only. There are severe consequences for worshiping the world rather than worshiping God. Jesus came to save us from all of that and free us from those desires, that bondage, that worshiping anything other than him. Jesus, he's our reward. The earth is not our reward. We learn that from the the, the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son. The father said to his, his older son, what do you mean? I, you know, I, I, I've never given you anyone, anything. I, myself, I'm your reward. God, we're, we're the, re- God is our reward. He is our reward. And, and Jesus came to, to save us from the judgment that happens to a human being anytime that they worship the world rather than him. And we're all born. We come out of our mother's womb. We're all born as babies. We're worshiping the world, fascinated with it. Thank God Jesus gets up in our face and says, no, follow me. Don't follow the world, which is what he says in the next verse, 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lot's wife, a piece of her heart was fixed into the world and she was judged. And the Bible says, so is every man and woman who does not let go of the world, let go of their own ideas of what life is all about and give their life to the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, who said, not only do I come to give you life, but I came to give you life to the fullest. And, and so, the, wow. Just, he, he's, he, he's, he's, he, this is a sermon that he's giving to the people talking to him about what their, where their hearts are right now. Please don't be like Lot's wife. You don't want to be here after I come for my church, is what he's saying. In verse 34, he says, I tell you in that night, this appears to be another reference to the rapture. In that night when he's first revealed, this is when he first comes upon his return in the future. In that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. Actually, real interesting there, isn't it? That he's basically saying it's going to happen throughout the whole world at exactly in a moment of time. At one point in the world, verse 34, it's the night. At another point in the world, verse 36, it's the day. It's in a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians, Jesus is going to come for his children. And then in verse 37, it says, where, Lord? They answered and said, where, Lord? Meaning where they, 
you, you know, where is this going to happen? Or, or some people say, you know, where are they being taken? And, uh, and, and, or, or what's going to happen next? Uh, maybe a better way of translating that. And he says uh, to them, wherever the body is, there the eagle, eagles will be gathered together. Now that again, uh, right there, that appears to be a reference to this seven-year tribulation period where wherever the bodies are, wherever the spiritually dead people are, the vultures are gathering, you know, referring to an extended period of time of judgment. So this is what Jesus is sharing on his final journey to Jerusalem. What the precise details are of his return, we don't know exactly. We do know this. He's coming. And the Bible says in 1 John that those who have this expectation and this, and this hope, they purify themselves, meaning they, they, they live for the Lord. You know, I, I, can't, I can't finish a sermon with a verse like this. Whoever the bo- wherever the body is, there the eagles will be. I, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, so actually, as the worship team comes up, if you're on the worship team comes up, I'm going to put another verse, and this is the verse that greeted me this morning when I opened my Bible. Look at this verse. You tell me what it means. I have seen the consummation of all perfection. What on earth does that mean? I read that this morning. I'm like, what does this mean? Please don't just read on when you see something you don't understand. Just ask the Lord, so what's this about? Or even better, or both, get out your smartphones that you're using for everything else. <laughs> and, and, and just you can actually go there now and see this in, in like 40 different translations. It's actually a great verse, and I must have spent 15 minutes just thinking about just how wonderful this verse is. I've seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So this is what it means. I have seen the limits of perfection on this earth. What he's saying is, anything on this earth, there's a limit to how good it gets. Relationships, everyone's going to let you down. Everybody in life. Your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your kids, your best, best friends. Oh, man, you think you have a friend. Ooh, we'll be like bosom buddies till we die. They're going to let you down. I have seen the consummation of perfection. It's, it's the, there's, a, there's such a limit to it. So remember Lot's wife. Why do we hold on to something where it's so abundantly clear in the Word of God and even in our own human experience? It'll all let us down. Everything's going to let us down. Everything. Education, career, jobs, houses, vacation. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a limit to all perfection. But I love this. But your commandment, meaning your word, is exceedingly broad. Meaning there's just no end to it. It's perfect. Remember Lot's wife. You don't want that. What you want is this. Just believing in the word. Jesus says, the Bible says that Jesus is the word. Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. The word was, was with God. The word was God, became a man, and he, he dwelt among us. 
And now the Bible says he's knocking at the door of our hearts and he's asking for a relationship with him. Look, as the worship team begins to play, they're going to play a closing song. Actually, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up now as well. If you have never opened the door of your heart and said, Jesus, I've been living on the throne of my heart as the king of my own heart, my king of my own life. For my, own, my whole life, I've been the king. I'm going to get off now. I'm going to get off the throne. I'm going to get off the chair. And I'm going to let you come in. If you have never done that, you want to do it. For a multitude of reasons, including you don't want to be in the tribulation period. You do not want to have to suffer judgment that, that God has decreed justly so for anyone who has rejected his son. So if you've never done that this morning, it comes with a simple prayer of faith. Everyone in this room who is a child of God did so not because of doing good things or trying to be good or trying to go to church or trying to read the Bible. It's just a simple prayer. That's all it is. It's so easy. It costs so little because it costs God so much. It is the life of his own son. If you've never done that, please come up. But also there will be people up here to pray with you. Man, if anything in this, this sermon just has, has stirred your heart, and we just read this verse. I have seen the consummation of perfection. And it's just a waste. And you're like, man, I, 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 I just, I'm sick of wasting my life on, on something that the world offers. Or if there's really anything in, you know, anything on your mind, any burden, don't leave this room this morning without just praying about it. If you want, I can pray with you after the service. But there'll be people up here praying. Why don't we rise for uh, just a closing prayer and then the worship team will begin. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, that we're told in your word not only about the beginning, not only about the past in our history, not only about things present, but also things in the future. We thank you that you do not hide these things from us, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would continue to broaden our hearts in our understanding, increase our understanding, make our understanding bigger of the future, stir up our hope for your return, Lord Jesus. Oh, the thought of you being here in the flesh among us, which you promised. Lord, that is just, uh, it just makes us, it just boggles our minds. And if it doesn't, Lord, do that work. Let our minds be boggled. Work with us, Lord. If we're cool to that, some of us are, Lord, I speak to my own heart. Warm our hearts towards your, towards your return. And Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.